Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. The point of all of Scripture is to point us towards Jesus and not towards ourselves. But for many years, when I read this book, I saw the book like one big finger pointing at me. How many of you have read the book? And and it's like, it's, it's basically pointing right here. And that's not the purpose of Scripture. That's not the point of Scripture. It's not to point to us and say, okay, so you read the Old Testament and you see the stories of these people that we call heroes of faith and, and, and the people who did all these great things and, and, and you should be like them. How many of you have ever picked somebody in the Bible and, and, and decided you were going to be like one of them? That's, that's me. I identify with that one. I'm going to be like that one. Anybody ever done that? We even look at the life of Jesus and people say that we should model our lives after how Jesus lived. And it's true, of course, to a certain extent. But there's something that we miss when we forget what the point of the gospel really is. And the point of the gospel isn't that we are supposed to just copy and emulate and and perform and do what we're supposed to do according to the example that's in here, but according to the power that's in here, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the grace of God. In other words, none of us can be like Jesus without Jesus. The Bible tells us that it is only by beholding Him that we are transformed by the Holy Spirit from glory to glory into His image. And this is how I feel that oftentimes people miss the point of Scripture. They use it as an example to live by, like a rule book or a guidebook, rather than meeting the person of Christ in the Scriptures. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you will find life. But these Scriptures are the ones that testify about me. Every part of Scripture points towards Jesus. Every story is about Jesus and points towards Him. And so what we're going to do in this series is that we're going to take some snapshots, mostly from the Old Testament, some from the New, where we show you how this actually points towards Jesus, how it's actually about Him and how you can trust in Him. Revelations 13, 8 says that He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before any of the stories of the Old Testament began, before the the, the narrative of redemption began to be written by God, He had already sent Jesus. It was already in God's heart. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Hebrew 4.2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them in the Old Testament. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So it's the same message. It's always been the same message. New Testament, Old Testament, the same gospel, the same good news, that it's through faith in God that we become righteous. It's not only preached to us, it was preached to them also. But how it begins to profit your life is when you mix it with faith. You don't just listen or hear, but you mix your hearing with faith. You believe. Having heard, you can believe. And once you believe, the grace of God is in full effect in your life. And so I want to start this series this morning by sharing a message with you entitled, The Sign of Jonah, The Sign of Jonah. We're going to look a little bit at the story of Jonah and how it really points towards Jesus. We're going to start off in Matthew 12, verse 38. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, 
you can open up at Matthew 12 and verse 38, and we're going to look at how Jesus himself actually says that the story of Jonah isn't really about Jonah. It's not about how you shouldn't run off in one direction, otherwise some great calamity will befall you. It's not about being swallowed by big fish. It's not about, you know, all of these different things. It's really pointing to Jesus, and Jesus says this is the sign, that the story of Jonah is a sign. And the people that come to Jesus here in Matthew 12 are scribes and Pharisees. These are religious people. These are people that study the law. These are people that do everything to at least outwardly uphold the law. And often they had the form of the law or the, or, or the, the form of religion without the heart of it, without, without understanding God's heart behind it, which made them cruel and cold-hearted. Jesus actually often called them um, like, like whitewashed tombs. That are, they're clean and washed with white on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Jesus' words, not mine. That's how Jesus speaks about the self-righteous religious people of his day. And so they come to Jesus, and they say, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. How many people have said, I'll believe in God if he shows me a sign? He must show me a sign, and when he proves himself, then I'll believe, or then I'll consider believing. But until God proves himself to me, I don't, I'm under no obligation, obligation to believe. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're questioning his validity and his authority that he claims to have. But he answered and he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. An evil and adulterous. You see, they were claiming to worship God. But then God sends his own son, and in their hearts, they are faithful to another, not God. Do you know who they're faithful to? They're faithful to their own righteousness. They're faithful to their own religious dignity that they feel they've built up. I am, I, I am worthy of something because I have done so many religious things. We see this when the Pharisee goes to stand and pray and, and he says, oh God, and in the back there's a sinner. And he goes, oh God, I thank you that I am not like this man, that I give my tithes, that I worship, that, I, that, I, that I'm a good person, and thank you that I'm not like him. It's evil, it's adulterous. Jesus says, the man in the back who's a sinner just beats his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, which one do you think goes up out of, out of that prayer room justified? The one who goes justified is the sinner who recognizes his position and calls on God's grace, not the one who stands on his own good works. It's an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. It's an unbelieving generation. It's people that won't take God at his word. It's people who won't believe in the finished work of the cross, but they must, they put the burden of proof on God to prove to them why they should believe. And he says, and no sign will be given it. No sign will be given to the evil and adulterous generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. 
I mean, that's Jesus just laying it out there and saying that the whole story of Jonah was actually a prophecy. It was actually a projection. It was actually a foretelling of what Jesus would do. And so the story of Jonah is not really about Jonah. It's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus would do. We've all heard the story of Jonah. We've heard the, the, the story since we were, we, we were kids and we went to Sunday school or, or our, our parents read us, you know, a, a bedtime story of, of this Jonah, this man who was called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach and to tell them to repent of their sins, which means turn away from their sin and turn to God. But what we see in verse 3 is that Jonah decides to do the opposite. He decides to run away. In Jonah 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee. He literally goes in the opposite direction. He, he goes for a one-way ticket to somewhere else. And he gets up, he runs down to where the ships are leaving, and he, he pays his way onto the very first ship leaving the docks. He says, you've got to get me out of here because God has called me to go and preach a message to the Assyrians, to, to those in Nineveh, and I don't want to go. I want to do the opposite. I want to run away from this destiny and this calling that God has for me. Now, it's easy for us to look at Jonah and to judge Jonah and to say, you know, Jonah went in the opposite direction. When God calls us, we'll be faithful. Until you know what the Assyrians were like and what Nineveh being the capital of Assyria in those, in those days, the Assyrians were known as some of the most violent people in history. They took no prisoners. They erected monuments to their cruelest and fiercest kings. The more people you killed in battle, the more enemies you destroyed, the bigger the monument and the memory of your name in that city. In fact, there are reports that they would use human skin as wallpaper in their, in their palaces and in, their, in, their, in their, um, their royal halls. This is how the people of Nineveh, uh, Nineveh, how they operated. They were violent in battle. They would often fill the streets with corpses build monuments to their ferocious kings. And so God goes, hey, Nineveh, uh, hey, hey Jonah, the, the people of Nineveh, they've come up before me, their wickedness has come, and I've got a message for them. I've got a message, and I want you, Jonah, I want you to go to that city, and I want you to cry out against everyone about their sinfulness. How many of you would be like Jonah now, when you know that that's what you're saying, you're like, oh, okay, God, like that sounds like a great idea. I'm going this way right? I mean, some of us don't even want to like pray for a colleague who has a cold because we're like afraid of persecution. You know, never mind go cry out against the most violent city in history. And so this is one of the, the, the few times that we see God calling a prophet to go and, and preach to a Gentile nation. Remember, this is Old Testament, and these people were not of the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation. This is actually so unique. And Jonah doesn't want to be the one guy crying out for the other team in the midst of all of these people. It reminds me of a friend of mine who went to the UK, and he was a massive Arsenal fan, right? Any Arsenal fans here at Anchor Church? 
No? Good. All right. So he was a massive Arsenal fan. And he went and he got the opportunity to go and watch two Arsenal games. And, uh, and, and the one was at, at, um, at the Arsenal at Emirates, um, their stadium. And he got to go and watch it there. And that was awesome. Um, but another one, he kind of got a, lot, a late ticket. He was in another part of the UK. And there was another game. And he got a ticket. And so he just bought the ticket. And he didn't know what section he bought it in. And in the UK and other places in Europe, you know, the soccer can, can get so intense that if you're an Arsenal fan, you don't sit with the other team because you could be endangering your life, all right? And so he had his Arsenal shirt on, and he went in and he found out, and it was Arsenal were playing against Reading, and he found out that he had bought a ticket right in the middle of the Reading, like, section of the stadium. And so he kept his, his, his jacket zipped up, especially when he heard the things that the Reading fans said to one another about what they would do to Arsenal fans if they came across them. And in that game, it was a few years ago, I think Reading lost 7-0 to Arsenal. And he's sitting right in the middle of now a very angry group. And he said to me the entire time that I sat there, I didn't cheer for Arsenal once, only on the inside. Because he had to endure seven Arsenal goals and just keep his hands in his pocket and go, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, no, that's terrible. It's terrible, guys. <laughs> you know? And that's essentially what Jonah was like. I'm not going to go out there and cry against them because I'll endanger my own life. They might kill me. And so Jonah runs away. He gets on a ship, and he starts sailing in the opposite direction. And God has this way of orchestrating our circumstances so that we always come back to what He has called us to. Have you found that? Like, we often try to escape God's call on our lives, and He just has this way of continuously, miraculously, sovereignly bringing us back to His call. This is His grace. This is how God aligns us for our future. And so there's this massive storm that happens, and and they start throwing things overboard, and Jonah goes, guys, stop throwing your stuff away. I know why the storm exists. It's because I'm running away from God. It's because I'm, I'm going in the opposite direction, and I know what's going to stop the storm. Just throw me overboard. Just throw me overboard, and, and it'll all stop. And they're like, no, Jonah, we got your back, buddy. We're with you all the way. We're not going to throw you overboard. We'll throw some more stuff. And then they're about to die, and they're like, okay, Jonah, it's you, man. It's, it's time. It's time. We, we tried, but now we loved you, but it's over now. You know, and it's like they chuck him overboard, and immediately the storm stops. Because God was busy orchestrating these events to show Jonah that he had a call for him. And the next thing that happens is miraculous. And, 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 and it's, it's part where the story gets really good is that a great fish comes along and swallows Jonah. And he is three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. And while he's in the belly of this fish, you know, if you're ever going to repent, you've been swallowed by a fish, right? Now's the time. Now is the time. And he repents. He recognizes. He realizes. How many of you know that oftentimes it takes us getting to rock bottom when we realize, I tried everything in my own strength to go in the opposite direction. I've hit rock bottom. I've literally, I'm in the stomach of a fish. I can't do this on my own. That's when we repent. That's when we turn around. So many times, because our hearts are hardened, it requires circumstances like those to really help us see the truth. 
And Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he repents and he prays and he, and, he, and he asks God for forgiveness, but he doesn't know God has already orchestrated his redemption and, and his purpose for his life. And so this, this great fish swims up to the shore, and there it spits Jonah out. And Jonah happens to be, the fish had some great navigational skills, otherwise led by the Holy Spirit, spits him out right near Nineveh. And he gets up, and he goes into that city, and he begins to preach. He begins to preach, and he walks. It says it, it would take a day to just walk across the city, massive city. And he begins to walk, and as Jonah goes, he preaches the message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. And here's the incredible thing that happens. Everyone repents. Everyone repents. Everybody turns to God. And even the king lays down his kingly robe and puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes, which was, which was a, a, an ancient form of repentance. When you take off your own robes and you, and, and you display what's happening in your heart by sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And he declares a fast that God would relent from his judgment against them for their evilness, for their wickedness. He says, we're fasting. The whole city is fasting. In fact, even the animals, he says the animals aren't allowed to eat. Can you imagine that? Like, that is an intense fast. Like, I've, I've fasted many times in my life, but can you go home? Can you imagine going home and telling, like, your pet dog, no food for the week, buddy? <laughs> like, all of us are fasting. Every single one of us in this home. But, Dad, the cat's all thin. It's fasting time. Right? The king declares a fast even for the animals. And God is able to do what he had intended in his heart to do, which was to relent. You see, God didn't want to bring judgment on Nineveh. And so he sends Jonah to preach the message of repentance so that he could relent in his judgment. And so God relents. He, he, he chooses not to judge the city of Nineveh and forgives them. Coming back to Matthew 12, we see the Pharisees that represent the law asking for a sign. Like, we want to see if you really are who you say you are, because according to the law, you always have to produce, you always have to perform, you always have to prove that you are who you say you are. The law is all about doing, it's all about showing, it's all about proving. But Jesus says the only sign that they would get is this sign of Jonah. As Jonah was for, for three days and, and three nights, he was in the belly of the whale. Jesus says, for three days and three nights, he was in the heart of the earth, which was, which was Sheol or Hades or the afterlife after he died on the cross and was laid in that tomb for three days. The tomb was like a, a representation, or the, or the belly of the whale was a representation of the tomb that Jesus would be laid in. And he was taken from death to life. There was resurrection. In other words, Jesus was saying, the resurrection is the only proof that you ever need, the only sign that you need that he is who he said he was. No other sign needs to be given. It's unnecessary because you know that there was the Son of God sent to the earth who died on the cross, who was buried in the tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the sign that God has given. Like Jonah was sent to Nineveh to go and preach the good news, Jesus was sent to us. 
The, the, the people of Nineveh were Gentiles and sinners, and Jesus came to sinners like us to preach this message of repentance and grace. Nineveh means the place of the fish, which was the name of their, their main god of Nineveh, known as Dagon. And we read about Dagon a lot in the Old Testament. And, and so they worshipped, the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, worshipped the fish god. Right, just think about this for a moment. They worship the fish god. And then here comes a man, here comes a fish onto the beach and spits out a man. Like, I'm pretty sure that whatever that man has to say, I'm repenting, okay? If he says repent, I repent. Because he's the one who just got spat out by a fish. They believed in the fish god. And Jonah arrives to come and be with the people as a representative of God. And the Bible says that Jesus is God come to us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came to be with us. Jonah was worried about being killed, but we actually killed Jesus. Jonah was telling them to turn to God. Jesus is the one who turned us back to God. And this is the message. The message is repent. Lay down your own righteousness. Lay down your own efforts. Lay down your own pride. Lay down your own attempts to save yourself and to forge your own way through life. Lay it down, your own ways. These men thought they could attain glory in Nineveh by being ferocious and cruel and victorious in battle. And the message to them is lay down your arms and submit to the God of heaven. And we think that we can forge our way through life by, by, by battling it out in our own strength. And God says, lay down your own righteousness and your own self-effort and trust in me. I'm here. I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to be resurrected. But even after his resurrection, the Pharisees refused to believe. That no, no, no. We, we'll make up another story. No, his body was stolen. That's what happened. He, did, he wasn't really raised from the dead, even though there's eyewitness accounts, and even those who said they saw him were willing to die for the message that they saw him raised. I mean, let me tell you, you don't die for a lie. They went to their deaths proclaiming that they had seen Jesus. That's how much they believed in it. And yet, the Pharisees refused to believe because ultimately they wanted to save themselves. And that's why the scripture says that the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed now a greater one than Jonah is here. Like they listen to Jonah, but you won't even listen to Jesus. You won't even turn when you hear the message of Jesus. Nineveh heard Jonah and repented. You're hearing Jesus, but you won't repent. You won't believe, because to believe in Jesus means to stop trusting in your own righteousness. To say, okay, God, I repent. I lay down my own righteousness, and I, I believe in the sign that you showed, the resurrection, the truth of your life that you've given to me. We come back to Jonah a few chapters later after this has happened, and can you believe it? Jonah is upset. He's upset that God did this. In Jonah chapter number four and verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So the people repent 
this amazing miracle, an entire Gentile ferocious city of, of sinners and of violent people, they turn to God. They declare a fast in the whole city and all these souls, 100,000 plus souls turn to God. And Jonah is upset about it. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, our Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now we see a little bit more to this picture of Jonah that we didn't understand before. The reason why Jonah ran away from his calling wasn't just because he was afraid of the Assyrians or the Ninevites. It was actually because he was self-righteous. He was like, oh my gosh, it's no longer going to be just Israel that's saved. Now God is extending his hand of grace and mercy to another nation, and I don't think they deserve it. He was actually self-righteous. They don't deserve it. They're not the people of God. They've, they've done so many evil things. They've killed so many nations. In fact, they've harassed our nation. And now God is sending me to preach the gospel to them. And I don't want to do that. I don't want them to be saved. I couldn't help but read this and think about how much Christians are like this. God is saying, go out into the city, into the worst places. You know, Jesus hung out with sinners and gangsters and tax collectors and prostitutes. And they railed him for it. They, they, they accused him for it. But Jesus went into the places with the most destitute, most broken, most sinful people, and he loved them. And then God tells us as the church, I want you to go to all the sinners, to all the broken people, to all the crude people and the, and the people that we as Christians often avoid. I want you to go there, and I want you to love them. And you know why we often don't do it? Because we've judged that they're not worthy of it. It's self-righteousness. They don't deserve salvation. Like, they, they can't be saved like I'm saved. Like, they need, to, they need to fix their lives, and then maybe if they're kind of like responsible, upper-middle-class people, then I'll reach out to them, you know? If they've proven that it's such a good guy, I want to lead him to the Lord. <laughs> We're so judgmental. We're just like Jonah. God says, Go. So Jonah says, yeah, I know, this is exactly what I thought it was going to happen. I know that you're a, a gracious God. I know that you relent from doing harm. I know that you're abundant in loving kindness and, and slow to anger, one who relents from doing harm. And that's why I didn't want to go to them. So he carries on in verse 3. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Like Jonah's getting super, super emotional about this whole thing right now. He's like, just let me die. You forgave a bunch of people, so just, I'll just die, Okay. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to him, is it, is it right for you to be angry? Like God must be thinking, but Jonah, I chose you by grace. How can you be upset when I have grace on someone else? And so I love this story. It says, so Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and he sat under it in the shade. 
till, till he might see what would become of the city. He's like, I'm not even going to stay here anymore. I'm going to go sit on the hill, and I'll just look at what's going to happen to this city now. And so he went and he sat there, under it, uh, uh, sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant. So this is the sovereignty of God. He, he prepares a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So he's miserable, it's hot, he's sitting out there, and God's like, Here, here's a plant to grow over you, to give you some shade. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. This is where he's teaching Jonah a lesson. God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened that when the sun arose, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He's still being pretty emotional about this whole thing. He's just having a miserable time. Verse 9 says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. <laughs> I am upset about this plant. I like that plant, and now it's gone. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant, for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? You see, the fasting helped. Okay, so God was aware of the livestock as well. Okay, they fasted too. But I love that picture because we're so quick to condemn people in self-righteousness. We're so quick to condemn them and say, they can't, they can't have salvation. God can't work in their lives. They're sinners. They're not believers. And God goes, but you would care if you saw a plant die or a tree die or an animal die. But what about the fact that there was 120,000 souls in that city that I created. And this gives us some insight into the fact as to why God is so against self-righteous religious people, why he so desperately wants to turn us away from self-righteousness and towards grace, because the, the sign of people who have understood grace is that they become gracious. It frustrates me when you have people that preach grace but mistreat people. Because what's the point then? But when the message of grace has, has, has dis, uh, disarmed you from your hostility and your self-righteousness has turned you towards love, the love of God, then all of a sudden you're able to have a heart for those even if they don't know Jesus for the city, for, for, for sinners, for people that do things wrong. God says, I love all people, and I want to save all people because I am God. That's my heart. But as Christians, so many times, in our self-righteousness, we turn away from that, 
We turn back to the law. We do a lot of Christian things, and we feel that that gives us the right to judge others. And then when God does save people who don't deserve it, which is all of us, but when He does save the people and and turn around the lives of people that we felt didn't deserve it, then we get angry like Jonah, oftentimes. We see this, Jesus tells us about this in the parable of the workers. He says, a man who who, who had a vineyard, he went out at 8 a.m. in the morning. He needed some some workers to work in his vineyard, and he goes out at 8 a.m., and he finds some workers, and he says, I'll pay you 100 bucks for the day. And he brings them to his vineyard, and they start working. Then at 9 a.m., he goes out, and he gets a couple more workers. He says, I'll pay you 100 bucks. And he brings them to the vineyard. And so throughout the day, he gets more and more workers. And then at 5 o'clock, with only one hour of work left, he goes out again, and he gets more workers. When six o'clock comes and it's time to pay everybody, he pays everybody the same. And like Jonah, the workers that started at 8 a.m. go, this is unfair. This is unfair. Like, we've been working since 8. These guys just came an hour ago and you're going to pay us the same. And that's the story that Jesus tells us to show us what grace is like. That we don't get paid what we deserve. We don't earn. The truth is we we don't deserve anything. But God gives according to His grace. And grace isn't fair. Do you know what good news that is? Because if we got what we deserved, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And so all of us are here today because Jesus died for us. Because He was resurrected. Because of His life, we have life. We haven't earned it. And so when God has grace on somebody else's life, all we should do is rejoice. Thank God. Because none of us were deserving, and all of us have received, according to His goodness, according to His grace, the things we could never have deserved. So God says to Jonah, I will send my son to sinners. He will die for the sins of the whole world, even though they don't deserve it. Not because they're good, but because I am good. And this is the sign of Jonah, that God gives His life for people that don't deserve it. And that includes all of us. This is such a great picture of Jesus. It's such a great picture of the heart of God. It's such a great picture of the gospel. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through these different stories, is is what the gospel really is. And so when you read the Old Testament story, yes, there's lessons that we can take out of it. Yes, there's principles that we can preach from it. But don't miss the point of the story, that it's all about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. His grace that's become our righteousness that allows us to be the children of God that sends us out into a world to love them in the same way that God has loved us. Amen? We want to be that kind of church and we want to be those kinds of believers, not self-righteous, but grateful for the righteousness that we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning and we're going to pray.